Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. England surge. New Zealand stutter and Phil Simmons hunt through a book deal. This is GC World Cup Extra. Chris. Welcome to episode 5 of GC World Cup Extra, the weekly World Cup podcast from your favourite independent commentary fighters, Gorilla Cricket. I'm your host, Knuckle M. Pandey, and I'm joined by friends old and new to run the rule over the last seven days of the 2019 Men's World Cup. We welcome back West Indies sceptic and devil's advocate, Marshall St. Patrick Hewitt. Good to be back. And we welcome for the first time the relentlessly optimistic Jules Farman. Hello there. Released from the scorer's box at Lords. Uh, we are recording uh, not long after the West Indies' victory over Afghanistan at Headingley on the 4th of July, a happy Independence Day or a very sad Independence Day uh, to our American friends, depending on your political leanings. The semi-finals are taking shape. Uh, we have uh, three of the four teams confirmed. The next one will be confirmed uh, later this week. But uh, let's just start by uh, running through the results of uh, the last uh, seven days. It started with uh, uh, South Africa uh, finally uh, doing uh, something and actually uh, getting past uh, Sri Lanka. Then there was an absolute thriller between uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, which uh, for which Gulbuddin Naib came in for a lot of criticism for uh, his use of his uh, bowling resources, most notably himself. Uh, Pakistan won that by three wickets. Uh, then there was a rather disappointing game at Lords uh, on Saturday evening, Australia beating New Zealand by 86 runs. Uh, then uh, England roared back into life against India and Edgbaston winning by 31 runs against India. Uh, Sri Lanka overcame the West Indies on uh, Monday at Durham, winning by 23 runs. Uh, Avishka Fernando, the latest of the young guns uh, for Sri Lanka to burst onto the international scene, uh, scoring a very fine 100. India then beat Bangladesh uh, back at Edgbaston on Tuesday by 28 runs. Uh, England thrashed New Zealand 
by 119 runs yesterday at Durham. And just now, uh, the West Indies uh, beat Afghanistan uh, by uh, a 20, was it 28-run margin, uh, which in the end uh, was uh, rather uh, 23-run margin, in fact, which in the end uh, was uh, rather flattering to Afghanistan, uh, who collapsed after a strong-ish start. So England have kind of refound their mojo, but New Zealand are really limping over the line as we get to the, uh, towards the semi-finals. Yeah, um, I think I read something today that said that New Zealand benefited from. Um, and is there an easy start? If there is an easy start, they benefited from it, and then, more importantly, benefited from a washout against India. So never really, when you consider it, were they tested until the latter part of the tournament? I mean. You could argue, maybe, Jules, that New Zealand actually were hurt by that washout because they would have played India at a time when they were confident and winning games. And had they beaten India in that game, so they didn't get the chance to, uh, maybe they'd have taken a lot more confidence into the latter stages of the tournament. Uh, potentially, but they would need to beat be India. And just from what I've seen from New Zealand, they've got a bit of a tail going on with the bowling. Um, you're relying so much on uh, Kane Williamson. You're relying on Ross Taylor. Nichols and Gupta just haven't come to the party, I don't think. And that's putting the pressure on the batters coming in. And you're looking, you've got a long tail. You're looking for them to perform with the bat. I just think they weren't exposed early enough. Or more to the, or possibly Williamson and Taylor have consistently been exposed too early. Yeah, Guptill's Monroe, who's had a terrible start to the tournament, has now been dropped. Nichols hasn't done much better at the top of the order. Tom Latham finally scored some runs yesterday after a shocking run. Um, the sort of run that um, makes you, that can really dent a player's confidence. And then a lot has been left to the lower order, Nisham and de Grondom. Um, but it's amazing to see the confidence ebbing away from New Zealand. Yeah, and it'll be for whoever they meet, whether that's going to be Australia or... I think it's, it's like to be Australia, isn't uh, it? Australia are currently top of the table. If they beat South Africa on Saturday, they will finish first and play New Zealand on uh, June the 9th at Old Trafford. Uh, a game I will be lucky enough to be at. Uh, but uh, if India win and Australia lose, then uh, it'll be they're playing India. But they're certainly playing uh, at Old Trafford on June the 9th. If they're playing Australia, it's Australia every day. I mean, it's a complete sort of slam dunk, I think, just because New Zealand just do not have that depth in batting. They've got the bowling, and, and we saw that on Saturday, but I just do not think that they can beat an Australian side. Australia have rather had the wood over them in, uh, in recent uh, times. Uh, July the 9th, apologies. Uh, we, uh, I managed to skip a month somewhere locked in this wo- Gorilla Cricket World Cup dungeon. Yes, July the 9th is the first semi-final at Old Trafford. July the 11th is uh, the second semi-final at Edgbaston. And then uh, July the 14th, uh, the final from the home of cricket, so-called Lords. Uh, but while New Zealand have uh, stuttered and stumbled after a very strong start, England, who's uh, the last time we spoke, uh, were in a bit of a funk uh, well, they've got the big guns back at the, at the top of the order. Uh, the boys are back in town, joined Jason Roy and Johnny Bairstow, and they're flying now after beating India and New Zealand. Are they flying, though? And, and, and I mean this as a genuine question. For once, I'm not just going to play devil's advocate. Um, you ha- First and foremost, um, I'm as far removed as an England fan as anyone could possibly be at Gorilla Cricket Headquarters. But um, I'll give them credit. They had to get the two wins, and not only did they get the wins, they 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 comfortably defeated India um, and and New Zealand. But 
If you are Australia or India, are you really fearful of playing England again? I think you're fearful of what their batting can do. Um, look, I mean, they're all good teams. I mean, they. I wasn't expecting Australia to, to be as good as they have been so often. Um, and we could talk about how they've done it um, with um, the fact that they keep getting great starts. And even on the couple of occasions they haven't uh, against, uh, against the West Indies and against, uh, who was it they play where they uh, had a real... Uh, stumble against England. In fact, uh, they uh, um, well against England they actually did pretty uh, pretty well. And uh, stupid, sorry, it's against New Zealand. Yes, where uh, Alex Carey got them out of trouble. They found ways to get them out of trouble, and obviously they've got Mitchell Stark, which is almost like having a cheat code in the World Cup. Yeah, he's been bowling fantastically. I think he bowled at about 93 miles per hour on Saturday. He was one of the fastest bowlers this World Cup, and sides do not know how to react. And just going back to the point on New Zealand. Kane Williamson, who is usually quite a fluid batter to watch, looked out of sorts facing Mitchell Stark, and I think any side is going to struggle against him at the moment, the, pay, the form that he is in. Yeah, it's interesting that against India, that was the one game where he didn't really pitch the ball up, didn't really bowl at full pace. It looked as though he was trying to bowl like a sort of hit-the-top-of-off bowler, which he's not. When he pitches it up and gets the ball to swing at pace, he's lethal. No one's been able to handle him in this World Cup. Yeah, he's kind of... Um, no. I know we've got lots of batsmen, particularly Wright Sharma, um, getting the plaudits, but um, if we take a moment to actually look at Stark, he possibly is the player of the tournament. But that, that accolade can wait till, till the final and then the end of the tournament. We are going to be coming on to uh, selections uh, later in uh, this podcast. Uh, we asked our listeners to submit their own teams of the group stages and we've put together ours as well so uh, uh, we all love to play a little bit of selector and uh, we'll be doing so later in the podcast but we'll move on uh, to uh, the sort of the meat of the podcast uh, we ask our guests every week to provide a moment of the week a performance of the week and a uh, player of the week and uh, keeping it uh, keeping it kiwi uh, jules will go to you first and uh, your moment of the week was a quite wonderful catch from this man this little piggy went to market and this little piggy stayed at home. Martin Gupto. You were there. Talk us through it. Yep. Australia, 46 for two. Lockie Ferguson is coming on to bowl. Gupto, I believe he may have dropped uh, a catch in the previous over in the slips. He, he dropped two catches in the match up until that point, both quite easy. And you would have thought, mm, confidence is against you. But then Steve Smith goes to pull Lockie Ferguson and then at Leg Gully there is Gupta who takes an amazing diving catch. It makes Australia 46 for three, a really crucial moment in the match to get out the captain who actually was looking a little bit jittery but Steve Smith always does. But you're just thinking actually if you get the captain out now and that psychological battle it really did have Australia in all sorts of problems, as you said, until Alex Carey came in and bailed them out. But they were struggling, and that catch was an absolute turner, bearing in mind he dropped those two previous catches in the match. And just on its own merits, we've seen some very good catches in the tournament. It was absolutely astonishing. Steve Smith properly nailed that. Martin Gupta is standing 15 yards away, dies full length to his right, gets, two, gets a hand to it, middle of the hand sticks absolutely astonishing yeah absolutely and so for me that was the timing of it the actual catch itself as you've eloquently described is my moment of the week Steve Smith's been dismissed by a couple of absolute crackers in this tournament so far um, we, we had a discussion a little bit yesterday on the show about the fielding in this tournament Mash what have you where would you put this not rank this World Cup in terms of 
where it's been compared to other World Cups. But what is your sort of assessment of the fielding in this World Cup? Kind of equate it to, um, if you equate it to football as another sport. So the argument goes that as each generation comes, the athleticism increases because if, if you believe the argument that our knowledge of health and diet and so on and so forth means that we have better athletes. So catches that we think are extraordinary for top-level athletes, they're now pulling them off as if it's a run-of-the-mill run-of-the-mill thing. And not to go back to Ben Stokes' one, but to use, use that one as an example... Okay, yes, I think he was surprised he pulled it off, but it wasn't like he did some massive falling over tumble to do it. It was it was all in one fluid motion, and I don't think we've seen catches regularly. Obviously, Cottrell's one as well on the boundary. Even today, Fabian Allen's one. Jason Holder took two very yeah. well judged catches at the boundary today. And I'll tell you another catch which wasn't an amazing catch but in the context of the game looked so easy that uh, Trent bolts off um, Brathwaite when he was trying to hit that six to win the game we talked about that on the podcast brilliant uh, it wasn't an easy catch he was not far away from the boundary and it's very rare that a game of cricket comes down to that moment you catch this you win you drop this or you stagger back two yards and you're out uh, or rather, not you're out but you lose Trent bolts pulled off some much more spectacular catches but there haven't been very many of them that were that important yeah yeah, so um, it, we're just seeing such amazing athleticism, and we're now just—are we taking it for granted? We just kind of expect it. I really, I really hope not, and I really hope we shouldn't. Actually, we were watching a little bit of um, Ireland Zimbabwe, uh, the game, the ODI that's going on at Stormont in the lunch break, and there was a magnificent catch uh, at the boundary there uh, late on. Um, and like fielding teams practice that now; it's not a fluke anymore, and the game is all the better for it. But the thing is, though, with the outstanding catches, it really exposes where there's fumbles in the field, things go wrong. It, I mean, Afghanistan are key for this, but actually there have also been some other just poor fielding as well, and it really exposes that. Yeah, we saw Sheldon Cottrell today has been very good through the tournament. He took a good catch later, but he also dropped an absolute sitter. Nicholas Puran dropped the same sitter twice. Shai Hopes had two terrible missed stumpings in the last couple of games. We've seen fumbles. Uh, we've seen fielders, team fielders, fail to go to get down to the ball on the boundary we've seen long barriers not executed properly and you're right there's nowhere to hide for poor fielders anymore and because the standard has been set teams aren't going to accept that for very long coaches aren't going to accept that for very long and I think the standard of fielding just if you look at T20 really exposes as well some of the catches you see in T20 when they're over the boundary they get the ball back in another player comes and catches and I think that was a great catch by Jason Roy, wasn't it? Was that in the Bangladesh Premier League? Yes. I and mean, that was a, I can't remember the circus. Full-length diving catch on the boundary. Oh, it was an amazing catch to watch. And I think that's really changing the pace. And people don't, have historically not paid attention to fielding. And actually, it's really vital. And we have seen this in the shorter format and it's coming into this World Cup as well. I think it can't be a coincidence that the teams with the fattest players, slowest players, geriatric players are all not in the semi-final. And I'm looking at West Indies, Afghanistan. <laughs> Sri Lanka. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but you've got a point. It's athleticism. It's the fitness to see you through and be able to take those catches and leap up. We and saw that today. And it's also the fitness to concentrate right till the death, to keep your head, to not get casual, to not think, oh, I'm really tired. I'm not going to die for this. And look, we've seen in the past uh, that when you're a team who's struggling, when you're a team who's trying to claw your way into the big time, Fielding is the thing that you, ha you have the most control over. Fielding is the thing that you can improve 
quickest yourself and it is just practice it is practice and commitment and uh, a deliberate a t deliberate effort to get better at fielding and it can be done and it's been done by a lot of teams throughout throughout the years New Zealand kept themselves competitive for years on the strength of being the best fielding team in the world uh, and there are a lot of teams uh, those, those three we just mentioned and probably South Africa as well when they as they look to rebuild who are gonna have to uh, do some serious work to get themselves up to the to the standards of uh, of the top teams so that was uh, Jules's uh, moment of the week. Uh, mine is uh, an altogether uh, lighter moment, uh, and it was uh, uh, this from uh, the uh, the Bangladesh India game. This is way outside off stump. Oh, and uh, how on earth has Sabir not managed to fall out of his crease there? Chahal was throwing that wider and holding it back, trying to get Sabir to come down the track and uh, be stumped. What ended up happening was that Sabir sort of tried to sweep it, then sort of tried to drive it, then fell over and ended up rolling around. Ends up sort of looking at MS Dhoni, who has his hand poised next to the bales. Yes, a, uh, a sweep which ended up with the Bangladeshi batsman prone on his face, looking at MS Dhoni, pleading with him not to stump him. Somehow, through all that, he kept his feet uh, firmly planted. Uh, what you can just hear in the back is, is my co-commentator Paul Howarth very professionally holding his mic away from his face to laugh uproariously at a bit of comedy which enlivened what in the end was a, was a pretty tense game between uh, India and Bangladesh um, this World Cup seen a few comedy moments and that there was was up there with them uh, we, uh, we mentioned earlier on an earlier podcast about Jason Roy running into Joel Wilson while uh, the umpire while celebrating a, uh, a, a boundary what is would you say this has been a good World Cup for comedy? Yeah, absolutely. One of my favourite points was when Kohli got out during the India-Pakistan match. He walked and it turned out that he didn't actually clip the ball as it went through to the wicketkeeper because he was out caught behind. He was throwing his bat around in the dressing room and then Dhoni literally turned around and said, give me the bat. And there was Kohli losing his absolute mind, but at least the bat was safe. It was like a dad speaking to his son. It was absolutely quality yeah, to watch. Yeah, he was... Uh, the clicky bat handle and all that he was waggling the bat around dangerously close to people and MS Dhoni just leans over takes the bat off him lets Coley go and calm down and MS Dhoni and Just Breathe Boomer fail uh, to stifle giggles yes. uh, on, the, uh, the front, on the front row um, and look we pride ourselves on being a, uh, a serious and analytical cricket show and a cricket podcast but I think it's important that we uh, that we do remember that cricket is actually really good fun yeah 100% 100%. And you can see that with, if you go to any of the matches, yeah, okay, you've got the cricket going on, but you've got all kinds of different things going on with the crowd. And ultimately, it's a spectator sport. It's made by the fans. Let's enjoy it. I think we can get so stuffing up our own asses with cricket at times. We need to get more people into the game, more people enjoying the game. And whether that is the spectacle in front, stuff going on in the crowd, the more people we get in, quality keeps it going. It also, uh, you know, you're talking about these, these incredible athletes. It also kind of humanises things. You can, like, you can relate to that as someone who plays cricket casually. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I haven't picked it as my moment of the week, but... You two have inspired me uh, to actually um, highlight the streaker at England, New Zealand, um, yesterday, who went on a, um, yeah, yeah, the old jolly up on the field. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, <laughs> none of the stewards could catch him. Um, in the end, he just gave himself up, um, it would appear. But um, that was a really joyous moment and has momentarily made me want to streak in one of the semi-finals. So uh, look out for that because he looked like he was having a whole heap of fun. 
finally we've actually seen a pitch invader brave enough to take their clothes off. Yes. We saw two during the Afghanistan-England game uh, who were fully clothed. We've seen a few more later in the tournament as well. If you are going to invade the field of play during a cricket match, get them off. Like, there, no one is impressed with you just kind of running onto the field. There was a guy with enough gu- waving an Afghan flag around. who Actually, that ended up being quite serious. I think he got tackled and broke his arm. But, yeah, you could sort of see the stewards not really wanting to go near this guy. And eventually, as you say, he just sort of ran at a clump of them and one of them had to bring him to the floor. And it, I, don't want to, I don't want to say this. It's sort of... It, it, it enlivened a game that was drifting nowhere. Yeah, I agree. yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm laughing about it now, just thinking about it. Well, uh, that was not the moment, as you say, uh, that you picked as your moment of the week. The moment you that you picked was, uh, and the moment we picked is not uh, quite the moment itself, but it's sort of it's an illustration of uh, why sometimes, as a cricket, as a captain in a press conference, you should just say nothing. It's Coley facing up and he gets a short one that he absolutely clunks but he picks out the man at deep square leg and it's a decent catch there just about in front of his eyes and Virat does what he so seldom does amongst the great bats when he picks out a fielder that's most unlike him. He's gone for 26, India 237 for three. The important thing about that was he was caught on the short boundary. Indeed. So... Prior to me going into why um, that is uh, encapsulates the moment of the week, so I'm going to just read a quote from P- Coley's um, post-match conference where he said the following, It's a coinc- coincidence that it, the short boundary, just falls under the limitations of the shortest boundary you can have in the tournament, Coley told the host broadcaster. So quite bizarre on a flat pitch, it's the first time we've experienced that it's the first time that we've experienced that. So it's crazy that things fall in place like that randomly referencing the fact that England obviously needed to win against India. So I think the reason why I picked this as the moment of the week is is Virat Kohli a Marmite figure in cricket? Um, I personally have a lot of time for his cricketing ability. I think he lives and breathes cricket but almost to a flaw. And I think you said before playing the clip knuckle, sometimes you have to be quiet and whilst I get where he was coming from and maybe he felt aggrieved about the defeat or I don't know I'm I'm just trying to get (sighs) even if he felt he had to talk should he have said what he said that's what I think what I'm trying to get out here on its face what he said has absolutely no merit whatsoever because it's not something that uh, you can control I get really tired of captains complaining and teams complaining about pitches and about short boundaries and about the weather and about the toss and about all that stuff that you can't control and uh, you know uh, the toss not too much but certainly the weather the pitches and the uh, and the boundaries it's the same for both sides Um, what I can only assume was happening was some sort of Machiavellian Mourinho mind trick where he was trying to draw the attention to himself uh, take it on as the captain and I don't want to say detract from a poor performance I don't think it was that bad a performance by India but if all the pressure's on him, people aren't talking about, you know, KL Rahul. They're not talking about Kedar Jada. They're not talking about Mohammed Shami not being able to bowl that well at the death. They're not talking about uh, the Indian wrist spinners uh, and things like that. Um, so, you know, there's two ways of reading this. Either it's Kohli, speaking of the heat at the moment, being the impetuous character that we know he can be. Or it's him in a slightly childish and, you know, Mourinho-esque way um, taking on that burden which you have as a captain. And certainly the Indian management don't, don't do that very much. Um, 
Jules, Jules, what was your take of all, on all that? Uh, for me, going, I'm going to go back actually to Mash's point here about Virat Kohli, and it's a bit it comes in the same bracket as David Warner. They are fantastic people to watch play cricket, but for me, they're not cricketers because the attitude that comes with them at times, I think, is hard work. Having seen Kohli with fans, I mean, big noise has been made on Twitter this week that he went over and shook a hand of a, an old lady cricketer. I saw him walk into the Oval last year, completely ignore all the fans, stuck his nose up in the air, and, you know, they're the reason you're there, mate, and you need to respect that. David Warner, I mean, I'm not even going to go down there. The guy can play cricket, and actually he was going to be in my top 11, but I just couldn't face to pick him just with the history <laughs> that has gone on. And that's really annoying because when he does play cricket so well, when he hits the shots, when he takes fantastic catches, there are times that you forget that it's David Warner. And then you realise it is that odious man, and then you just think, sod it. No, I can't respect you for that. And it's the same with Coley. Sorry. There was an interesting point made on commentary during that game that actually Coley Cam doesn't do him any favours because you get the close-up on him and uh, but without any of the context that, you know, he's very much now the leader of this team. He, you know, Dhoni does a lot of the, the on-field work later in the game and he does talk to the spins a lot. But, you know, the team is all looking at Coley for their direction now. Uh, they're looking for, you know, where should I go, Skip? Uh, do you want me deeper? Do you want me finer? Do you want me uh, here somewhere else? And Virat Coley has the most intense case of white line fever I've ever seen. Off the field, he's very chilled, and he's sort of deliberately put himself in that in that zone of being able to switch from zero to a hundred and back again. And I'm sure it's just I'm sure it's a coping mechanism for the madness of being an Indian cricketer and being Indian cricket captain. But look, I can understand why people why he rubs people up the wrong way for sure. Yeah, I, th- I just think I th- actually think you're right, Nathan, and that's why I wanted to hear your take on it. I do think it might have been a kind of siege mentality, let me take the flak, um, aren't I doing... But it's also that it's also part of an arrogance thing. Um, like, that's harsh, but I think Coley sometimes thinks he's bigger than the game. Yes. So that, maybe that's why I'm actually it's interesting. I've never, I've never got that sense from Virat Coley because he's so obviously driven by the history of the game. He's so obviously driven by wanting to be a great in the game. I think that... Uh, it's probably not ideal for him to be taking on as much as he has. And he has thrown his weight around in the past, getting an Okumble sacked uh, after the 10, 2017 Champions Trophy is the most notable uh, example. And he does a lot of stuff that doesn't help himself. Um, this is one of those things that we'll only know whether it's a good idea afterwards. I found it all a little bit tiresome, but that's because I find those sort of... Your captain's whining in general, I think even after you've won, is, is pretty tiresome, and particularly after you've lost. Even if you have a valid point, you can't say it after you've lost. It's just, it's never going to look good. Yeah, you just look like a bitter queen. Keep it humble, keep it Sangakara. That's what my general motto in life, and right. that lad does not keep it humble. He thinks he's bigger than the game. No, thank you. I think we've got the title. Hashtag keep it Sanga. Uh, we're moving on uh, to uh, the performance of uh, the week, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll stick with MASH, and we'll uh, uh, have a look at uh, the performance of uh, one of the coming men of West Indian cricket. If we Perfect. Um, so, <laughs> um, so uh, 
Uh, my moment was um, Nicholas Puran's 118, I believe it was, um, against Sri Lanka, um, in defeat against Sri Lanka. But obviously I've picked Puran's performance, not because he's the shining light of uh, the World Cup, but for the, as a West Indian, it was a very important knock um, to witness mainly because of Nicholas Puran's history. This is a this is a guy who was touted and recognised in the Caribbean at the age of 17, 18 as you are going to be brilliant. Um, he was he got in a terrible car crash um, at the age of 19, which nearly ended his career. And then with the help of some very key figures... I mean, near, near the end of the career, he almost lost a leg. Yeah. Um... And then with the help of some key figures, um, namely Kyron Pollard, um, he was essentially helped back into cricket. And then at the age of 21, after scoring heavily in domestic cricket, West Indies banned him for a year because he wanted to play T20s. So he wasn't eligible for um, West Indies selection. Now at the age of... So this is global domestic franchise T20? Yeah. Um, He went to play in the Bangladesh... In one of the first editions of the Bangladesh Premier League, and uh, West Indies, uh, the cricket West Indies, then um, took uh, didn't take kindly to that and banned him. Um, and so, anyways, two years later, now he's at the World Cup. He's hit a century, and I think this could well be a defining moment um, that the cricket world um, recognises the talent of Nicholas Puran. And also, at the age of 23, and we we're saying on, on on air today, the West, the core of that West Indies side going forward is very young. You have Puran at 23, Hetmeyer at 22, um, O'Shane Thomas at 21, Jason Holder still only 27, Shai Hope 25. So I think Puran's knock was about Puran, but it was also a knock that, we've said it so many times, may indicate and herald at a brighter future um, for, for the West Indies cricket team. And again, just highlighting that there is serious talent um, in the, in the, coming, through, coming through the ranks. Yeah, and uh, it was it was a fantastic innings. He's threatened to do this at times through the tournament. He is uh, has been the West Indies' best player uh, with the bat, um, and he's he seems to be one of the few who actually known his role in the team. Yes, and his role is to play his shots uh, and to to step to pick up the pace uh, after good starts or counter attack after a poor start. And it's a player we all knew had a lot of talent. He only played once in the uh, on England's tour. The West Indies got a duck on his his first one day international and it's great to see guys like this coming through and it's you can see the core of this next West Indian side whoever is going to be leading them whoever's going to be coaching them building uh, with that engine room in the middle order with this crop of fastballs you know Alzari Joseph missed this tournament with injuries are real is really one to watch Kimo Paul's very very young um, I'm not I'm not old enough to remember the great West Indian teams I'm not looking back through maroon tinted glasses or anything we don't necessarily need the West Indies to be the all-conquering team. I don't know if that's going to happen. Those things don't happen that often of a team dominating the world. But the West Indies are not that far away, I don't think, from being a decent cricket team uh, who are in there with a bunch of other decent cricket teams kind of in the middle of the pack. I'll gladly accept that. just quite enjoyed listening to it I mean I don't know um, that much about the history of Puran what you've just said there was news to me so it's quite interesting to see his development in terms of West Indies we were just talking about it weren't we today on commentary there are young players coming through I think you were saying Holder's one of the oldest players he's 27 years old 
I think if they can keep the interest in there and actually not lose players going off to where the money is and actually investing in West Indies cricket, then I think, well, oh no, I think, I hope that we see a good West Indian side come through again, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, coming off a good test series result against England uh, as well, beating them 2-1 in the Caribbean with a bunch of those fast bowlers, including Alzari Joseph, uh, to the fore. Uh, and they may be about to get a very, very good coach back. Yes, we, well, I have been certainly led to believe that Phil Simmons is the one they want. And um, once he spills his beans on the Afghanistan story, um, I think it will be happening sooner rather than later. Do you think he'll spill the beans and then get the job? It would be pretty, it'll be pretty weak, I think, for a, a current coach of another team to start talking about uh, how he was treated at Afghanistan and what all went on. Well, the, 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 the new, the new um, coach, West Indies, can't take the job till after the India series. So he's, got, he's at least got two months of spilling beans. OK, so there's the talk show circuit sorted for Phil Simmons. And, Jules, what beans he has to spill on Afghanistan? <laughs> I don't think this podcast is long enough to spill <laughs> or to go through all the, uh, de- well, all the skeletons in the closet and everything that's going on with Afghanistan. That'll be a whole separate podcast. But there will be a few that will come out. It's going to be very, very interesting uh, to watch. Uh, Jules, uh, while, we're, uh, while we're with you, uh, we mentioned uh, him, this big, tall Australian left armour, and uh, he provided your performance of the week. Or not. Indeed, 5 for 26 against New Zealand on Saturday at Lords. Crucially with this, he took the wicket of Kane Williamson. Williamson, we have seen when he gets in, he goes to big, get really big scores. So when he came bowling, coming in, 97 for three, um, when he took Kane Williamson's wicked I think it was a really important and pivotal moment of the match admittedly he did get 5 for 26 he did get out some of the tail um, but you still need to clear the tail to win a match which is what he did he also got the wicket of Tom Latham as well and he was bowling at a pace of 93 miles per hour and we were talking earlier about exposing um, New Zealand cricket for what it is and I'm making it sound like it's a big splash but actually they look scared to see his bowling and to react off it and that for me was the performance of the week we talked about it he's uh, he's a demon in World Cups in 2015 22 wickets at 10.18 and so far in this World Cup 24 wickets at 15.54 is poised to potentially break Glenn McGrath's record for the most wickets in a single World Cup which was 26 back in 2007 and despite our jingle he is swinging the ball again he's swinging it both ways he's reverse swinging it at pace like you say wrapping up the tail and it's an important thing and it's, it's something teams haven't been able to do against Australia it's pretty much impossible when you're facing Mitchell Stark when he's bowling well if you're a tail ender he just looks revitalised if, if, if I'm honest and I do just wonder it sounds silly but I do just wonder how much um, the return of Smith and um, Warner has mentally helped the Australian team it's not something you can gauge but I do just wonder how much of an impact that's had but Reece Stark as well so the last time I commentated on Australia the game escapes me but I called him a clean-up bowler the best Mm clean-up bowler in the business Um, and what's been impressive about Stark in this World Cup his run-up looks so 
easy and smooth. And that's when you know a bowler is in, in his pump. And yeah. It's going to be really hard to play him. Everything seems in rhythm. He's getting to the crease uh, high. He doesn't. He used to sometimes fall over at, his, at the crease. He doesn't look like he's straining. Like you know, like we talk about with Jofra Archer. Just there's not a bead of energy. Uh, you don't measure energy in beads, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, there's not. There's not an ounce of energy wasted. Uh, everything just gathers to a point, and then it comes down at pace. He's bowling fast. He's bowling full. He's bowling aggressively. He's swinging the ball. He throws in that bouncer every now and again. And whoever plays Australia in the semis and, fi and final, if they get there, has got to come up with a plan. Maybe it's just you play out Mitchell Stark. You just play him out. You don't try and attack him. And you take your runs wherever you can at the other end. Yeah, I think that's the way forward. I really do. Because at the moment, he is absolutely unplayable. And that's what we saw on Saturday. Yes, indeed. And it's uh, and coming on to my uh, moment of the performance of the week, rather, it's another bowling performance uh, by an Englishman. He's on Instagram. And he's a Twitter fan. On the Ashes Tour. Not Ben Stokes, but he'll have to do. Three maidens to start that innings, bowling to Rohit Sharma and KL Rahul, uh, meant that India only got to the uh, the power play uh, after 10 overs, 29 for one. And from then on, even with Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma at the crease, uh, the run rate was always climbing. And Chris Wokes went a long way towards England winning that game. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, you've picked Wokes versus India in particular, but I think you can't really look at Wilkes versus India without really looking at Wilkes across the tournament. And actually, um, I don't have to hand how many wickets Wilkes is taking. I'm going to say 14. Maybe it's less than 10. That. 10. So right. 10 and I'm glad it is 10. Is, it's 10 at 38.9. It doesn't look that impressive, but right. it doesn't tell the story. Right. And so I'm glad you said it. Was I'm glad you gave me the figures because I was going to say that Wilkes has kind of had the World Cup that Chris Morris has had for, um, for South, South Africa, Africa where the, he's bowled better than his figures um, articulate yeah I mean Morris's figures aren't bad they're 12 uh, um, 12 wickets at 23 but obviously in a very in a really struggling team where he's had almost no support at the other end but um, Wokes has taken important wickets and he's bowled he's bowled important spells economical spells at the top of the innings and at the death and he's been brilliant in the field and um, also um, with the bat a couple of times it helped England almost get over the line in a couple of their their tight defeats but you know, he does go under the radar, Chris Wokes, a little bit. Um, there was a wonderful comment on Twitter. I can't remember who it was uh, from, but uh, uh, you would tell your mum you're going to Chris Wokes' house when you're going to Ben Stokes' house. <laughs> <laughs> but having... <laughs> I'm loving that. But also with Chris Wokes, I think people also forget his fielding. He's taken some great catches yes, this has. week this week. And you're thinking, well, actually, you're a bit more than just a bowler. Um, taking the wickets you're actually decent in the field and, and you don't want to hide him anyway yeah exactly and a batsman as well there was a flag at Glastonbury as well with uh, yes. Chris Wokes on it which I thought was phenomenal scenes yes so much for cricket not capturing the public imagination Chris Wokes is a Glasto star along with uh, that bloke who was rapping about Thiago Silva uh Moving on to uh, Player of the Week. And this leads us in uh, quite nicely, I think, to uh, talking about uh, our uh, teams of the World Cup uh, thus far, of the group stages, and indeed uh, the, uh, the uh, ones that you, the listeners, have uh, picked, and particularly our, uh, our fine patrons out there at patreon.com forward slash Cricket. 
we were pretty much unanimous actually, I think for the first time. Johnny Best is smarter than the average besto. Johnny Best has been this good since day Castle. All put on the wigs and let the crimson hair flow. I want the Pope to give him his large prayer. Oh, he can hint the sixes, although it's so dark. He'd even run a ten at Bradford Park Avenue. No other Yorkshireman can compare. I tell you, Johnny Best is smarter than the average besto. Two hundreds in a row against India and New Zealand. What's the problem? On Saturday, Knuckle, you said to me um, in in the lull in one of the, in the game between Afghanistan and Pakistan, was it then? Um, you said to me that you thought that Bearstow's comments prior to the India game that he, I think you phrased it as he does this to g himself up. And then, so obviously, I didn't come in for the England game. And when he got his century, the first thing I thought of was Knuckle said this was going to happen. What I didn't see was him doing another one again on New Zealand. So actually, you're saying what's wrong. I'm coming. I'm putting it back on you. Why is it that he needs to do things like that to G himself up? If you're right, of course. Yeah, uh, Johnny Bairstow's done this a lot. And actually, his celebration against, uh, against India was a lot more subdued than I was expecting. I was expecting very similar to when he got his first Test 100 in Cape Town. Uh, again, that I was on commentary for at Guerrilla Cricket. Uh, all those those years ago, where he takes his helmet off, he roars to the sky and looks like he's about to start, you know, bursting into tears or sort of doing some kind of Russell Crowe at the end of Gladiator type thing. But it was actually quite restrained. Uh, it was against New Zealand, the, uh, the emotion really pulled out. Um, um, yeah, there was that roar and he'd slightly lost his head after he got to his hundred. Um, but I think there's another factor and it's the guy I was going to pick as my player of the week but then changed my mind at the last minute, Jason Roy. He's come back into the team, the boys are back in town, England's you know, possibly England's greatest ever one-day international opening partnership. They're up there in terms of the all-time greats uh, across nations. Uh, they score more runs than anyone else. They score faster than anyone else. And they bully teams at the top of the order. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, actually, to some extent, Bairstow is one of these players. He's a great cricketer, but he needs someone to give him that confidence. And Jason Roy gives him that confidence because Roy will go out, he'll get the runs. Whereas Bairstow will play himself in a bit more and then when he goes, he will go. But he needs to have the confidence and the player with them to do that. And Roy has done that. So he has been a great, I don't want to say supporting actor, but I'm going to have to because that's the only way you can describe it. Supporting actor for Bairstow to get those centuries. The two of them just pair so well. And you can see it a little bit with India as well, you know. Rohit Sharma has taken on that bit of extra responsibility with Shekhar Dhawan out of the side with injury and KL Rahul coming in um, and a little bit short on confidence. He's scoring runs, but scoring runs quite slowly. You know, Rohit has taken that in his stride, but he's a lot more experienced than, Ro- than, than Johnny Bairstow is. He's been a world-class one-day opener for six years now. Bairstow had to fight so hard to get into this England team. And I think that's some of it. I think he's still kind of in a mode where I've got to score 100 or I've got to do something every game uh, because they'll forget about me. Like, you almost want to say to him, you know, I don't know if you can. I don't know how well you can do this, but you know, it's true of his test batting as well, Johnny. No one's going to forget you. Like no one's forgotten about you. You're not going to get dropped after one bad performance. It's not as easy as saying chill out, but you do wonder about him long term as to whether he can keep this level of intensity, this sort of burning, you know, laser a hole in your eye, laser a hole in your body uh, with your eyes intensity. I worry. I worry about Bairstow because when folks came in to keep wicket last year in the Sri Lanka tour, Mm. his just reaction, he was nervous and he's a very fragile character. He's a good cricketer, but he's fragile. And I think that's actually, there's the geeing up aspect of it, but then there's also the fact that he went out and did it in the manner he did. It does heighten that there is something in his mindset 
which makes him fragile and I think that's always a risk for him imploding. I don't know if fragile is quite the right word because it sounds a bit like a value judgment but there is an anxiety to him, there is an insecurity and I'm not psychologising from a distance, I don't want to do that, I'm not qualified to do that but there is a sense with Johnny Bairstow that he that he is kind of playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder all the time. But he's trying to be something he's not as well. They've forced him to be a wicketkeeper. He's a bloody great batsman. Let him be a batsman. Well, the thing is, he wants to be a keeper in Test cricket. He wants the gloves. And he was really sulky in India when he did against India when he didn't get the gloves. And there are stories about his conduct during the West Indies tour off the field uh, when, he, um, when he may or may not have got the gloves. And look, when, this isn't really about England's Test uh, test cricket you know, we'll talk about in future episodes of the podcast once the World Cup finishes but um, I think it would be very hard to argue that Bairstow is a better keeper than Ben Folkes I mean ultimately he, we all picked him as player of the week for good reason all I would say is that when players feel the need to come out and be ag um, in press conferences I always just think go talk to the sports psychologist please um, and that that's just the only thing that's niggling in the back of my mind I don't even know him maybe I'm completely out of line there but he does he strikes me as that kind of player oh, look, yeah you're right none of us know him it could be a case of massive white line fever like Virat Kohli but we have heard in, from people who do know him better that he is just a very very intense cricketer who is always kind of as a, as a cricketer as a person constantly sort of uh, needing to create a sort of uh, a sort of siege mentality in himself we've used that phrase a couple of times advisedly uh, we'll keep the preview uh, pretty brief for the week ahead uh, there's three group games left Pakistan versus Bangladesh Pakistan if they bowl first cannot make the uh, semi-finals net run rate if they bat first they'll have to smash the world record for the highest winning margin in the men's one day international uh, Sri Lanka versus India and Australia versus Africa on Saturday we'll be covering the Sri Lanka India game uh, Australia versus Africa will be on GCSA uh, basically if Australia win they finish first and play New Zealand at Old Trafford if uh, they lose and India win then India pl- play uh, New Zealand at Old Trafford on July the 9th um, and uh, that's how all that shakes up and then it's the, the first and second semi-final uh, and we'll record next week's podcast after the second semi uh, finally this week uh, we asked you on Twitter to supply uh, your teams of the World Cup so far of the group stages and we've supplied our own uh, thank you to among others Evil Scooters Arthur Jeff Perkins and Ravi Nair for uh, tweeting and we had a few others as well and we've uh, gone through the entries and come up with this as the Gorilla Cricket listeners team of the World Cup Rohit Sharma and Johnny Bairstow opening Kane Williamson at three Shakabal Hassan at four Ben Stokes at five Joss Butler at six seven was hilariously a four-way tie between Alex Carey and three all-rounders Chris Morris Jason Holder and Mohamed Nubby then we're into the, a four-pronged face attack of Mitchell Stark Jofra Archer Mohamed Amir and Lockie Ferguson uh, how, much, how much do your teams differ from that guys? mine's much better than that <laughs> hey this is what we like to hear I'm loving it Mash and Patrick it. Hewitt selling I don't even know what anyone else has Mash got Mash and Patrick Hewitt selling it like it's <laughs> Smackdown well, you can't leave us hanging, son. Come on. Oh, um, I'll, t- I'll just critique that team one second. Quickly just show it to me. The one selection I was surprised at, I don't know what Jason Holder's name's doing there. And actually, has Joss really lit up this World Cup? Well, he got the very good 100 against uh, against Pakistan in a losing cause. He's done well, and he's scored quickly. Um, he's not had the breakthrough tournament, the sort of, oh my God, he's absolutely brilliant. He's the world superstar tournament that I thought he was going to have at the start of the tournament but he's been good I think there's one 
obvious player missing in that, but don't worry. I'll, I'll keep the suspense for Is he in yours? Yes. No, sorry, there's... No, I'll draw my team now. Yeah. Yeah, but then you two are going to change yours to be better than mine. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I'm, putting, I'm putting the pen down. <laughs> okay, here's my 11. Um, although there were some similarities to theirs. So, opening, Sharma and Finch. Yes. Um, three, I don't know how he's been left out, but Coley has to be in there for consistency. Four, Shakib. Five, Williamson. Six, Stokes. Even though I don't think he should be there, he's a bowler. Seven, Mushfaka. Then my bowlers, Archer, Stark. Bumrah has to be in there. Yes. Best economy. Um, and then it was a... My last one is a toss-up because do you need an extra spinner? If you need an extra spinner, Chahal. If you don't, Lucky. And you just go four paces. Beat that. I mean, it's it's strong. Pretty, I mean, strong. Stark, Archer and Bumrah is a hell of an attack. Um, you've shoehorned in Williamson down the order. You've shown in Mushfiqul, who's had a very good tournament with the, uh, the bat. Uh, a weird tournament with the gloves for Bangladesh, but it's been very important uh, for Bangladesh uh, with the ball. I, I think there's a few names in there that will that no one's going to argue with, uh, particularly in in the middle uh, there. But uh, but yeah, um, I think Finch has to be in there. Sure. Yes, hundred percent. Yes, I have Finch, absolutely. Bairstow instead of Finch. Yeah, oh, come on, man. Yeah, people have gone with Johnny Bairstow for his two hundreds. Odd tournament he's had two uh, hundreds and two golden ducks, but uh, obviously very important to England's chances. Jules. Uh, now, not how Knuckles going last here. What's going on? <laughs> I'm the host. <laughs> um, Mash, mine's pretty much similar to yours. So I've got Sharma, Finch, Williamson, Barbara Azam. Oh, nice. Oh, ah, yeah. Uh, ben Stokes, Alex Carey, Shakib, uh, Jasbeek Bumrah, Mohamed Amir, Jofra Archer, Mitchell Stark. And then if I needed a spinner at some point, I've got to get him in there at some point. I went for Mujib, actually. Mujib has been very impressive for yeah, Afghanistan yeah, cool. from the England game onwards when he came back into the team. Uh, bowled brilliantly against India, bowled very well against Pakistan, bowled pretty well today without much luck. Uh, I've also gone for Rohit and Finch opening. I think, and Finch is my captain. I think Aaron Finch's on-field captaincy has been excellent. Uh, I think he's been a lot more fluent than his opening partner, David Warner. Uh, he hit form at exactly the right time. He hit form in that India series and has taken that through this World Cup. Uh, I've got Shakib Al-Hassan at three. Joe Root at four, who I think has been incredibly consistent throughout the tournament. Uh, he makes it in slightly ahead of Kane Williamson for me. I think it's a very hard, it's a very tricky call between the two of them. Uh, Williamson has anchored this New Zealand team incredibly well, but Joe Root just makes it in there for me for his ability to score a run a ball without seemingly doing anything. I think it's absolutely incredible his the way he does things, and um, he's it's, we're at danger we're in danger of not talking about him as much as we should. And Nicholas Purin, I've gone for at five because I wanted a bit more aggression in the middle order. In the middle order, yeah, I accept that. Uh, and Purin's been very good in that role. Also, a um, yeah, someone who can pick up the pace. Ben Stokes at six. Jimmy Neesham, I've gone for at seven. Um, I think Jimmy Neesham has performed a very interesting role for New Zealand. Uh, he's been very good with the bat. He's been very good with the ball uh, when necessary. And I think he's uh, a very adaptable player. Alex Carey is my wicketkeeper, batting at eight. Um, which is probably a little bit lower. Might swap him and Nisham around. I think he's been very good with the bat. His keeping's not been great. He just edged it over Mushrikur. A little bit of a balance of the team. I think Mushrikur batting at seven would be a little bit too low for him. And then I've gone for Mitchell Stark, Joffrey Archer, and Yuzvendra Chahel. So I've gone for a spinner. Uh, would be Boomerah if I went for the extra. Yep. Oh, I haven't got Boomerah. Yeah, um, only, sli only slightly. Archer and Stark are locks, and then I went for Chahel just over Boomerah because I wanted spin the extra spin, yeah, yeah. wanted the extra spinner. My 12th man is Glenn Maxwell because he's a wonderful fielder and because I think uh, in any other team than Australia he'd be a superstar honourable mentions yes to uh, to Boomer to Williamson and to Mohamed Nubby 
uh, I think, who's been excellent for Afghanistan and has probably bowled the two best overs of the tournament. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I think Mohammed Nabi's again, a bit like Mujib, has just got buried with the fact that Afghanistan keep on losing, but they've had two very good tournaments. I think your call, Babar Azam, I think that's actually a good call. I hadn't considered. Yeah, won them the game. Considered won them the game against New Zealand. Was it an absolutely glorious hundred? Um, he's trying to anchor this this Pakistan team by himself. He and Haris Sahail basically yeah. have sort of kept Pakistan going through the latter stages of the of the tournament. He's a glorious player to watch. He's one of my favourite players in the world. He'd be in my sort of pay money to see eleven for sure. Yeah, 100%, uh, absolutely. absolutely glorious. Um, but I think you know Rohit is a Rohit and Fincher are a lot from us. Shakib is in everyone's. Stokes is in everyone's. Uh, Stark and Archer are in everyone's. Uh, and then uh, there's a few kind of round the edges, but kind of that is the core of the team. I think Stokes yeah, was in uh, was in everyone's as well. I think he's been superb with the bat for uh, for England. Obviously, dynamite in the field. We'll get those teams of the World Cup up on uh, on Twitter. Uh, but uh, it just remains for me to say thank you to Jules Farman. Thank you very much. Go well, everybody. Fine podcast debut. Thank you to uh, for Marshalls and Patrick Hewitt for joining us again. I bow out now, like the West Indies. And uh, thank you uh, to producer John. You can get this podcast before anyone else at patreon.com forward slash gorilla cricket. If uh, you do want to wait, and why would you want to wait for this hot podcast gold? Uh, You can get it on iTunes, Acast, Spotify or Podbean. Please do subscribe. Please do share. Please do leave us a rating on iTunes. Five stars, preferably. Uh, We'll be joining you again next week after the second semi-final. uh, And we'll be back on live comms on Saturday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.